0: Uh, that some of you miss what happened at the beginning of service. Don't let it happen next week at the beginning of services. You will miss a very important part you already have of some of the things that we're going to be doing. My encouragement is get the kids early, get them up, get them in here. You want to be in service sitting at 9:30 or at 11 o'clock. Um, and again, this is going to be our flow as we go uh, through uh, this, um, this series. Um, I want to tell you that um, as as we go through this series, our encouragement is that you're going to hear about how important it is to tell your story. By the way, UVersion, if you have the app, um, if you go to UVersion, all the verses are already preloaded for you. Go down to the bottom, hit those three little dots, uh, and in that you'll see events, find Cedars Church, and you will be up to speed. In telling a story, it's interesting when we think about God's Word. Some people like to think that God's Word is like a textbook, and it's not. Is there knowledge in there? Yes. Is there truth in there? Yes. Is there history in there? Yes. But there's also poetry, and there's also drama, (laughs) and there's also these lives that clashed against each other, and issues took place. And so I think sometimes as Christians, when we try to tell our story, what we try to do is we try to tell facts. I don't know if you know this, but facts, honestly, are not that exciting. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Jody and I were at a conference by a guy named Donald Miller. He wrote the book uh, Blue Light Jazz. And by the way, uh, a book that you might want to read during these next couple of months is a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. It talks about story. But we were at this conference, and he says, I want to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Because I want you to imagine that you're on a romantic date with your spouse. So I'm picturing Jody. And he goes, you sit there, and you're, you're enjoying this meal, and you take out a slip of paper, and you write down things and she's like what what is he doing as he writes things down and so I write things down and I'm just looking at her lovingly and I'm writing more things down and finally I fold the paper over and I slide it to her and she opens it and it says this are you ready Jody you are five foot two (laughs) Jody you have brown hair Jody, you like the Denver Broncos. Jody, you don't like tomatoes. (laughs) And she would read that and look up at me, falling in love all over again. (laughs) No, she would look up and go, what's your problem? Now, same exact setting. Same exact situation. I get the piece of paper out and I write that thing. But what I do is I take truths of Jodi and I put it in poetry. And I slide it to her. Now I've touched her heart. Do you know what I'm saying? Same facts. Talk about her eyes. Talk about her hair color. But now I've touched her heart. God did not want to give us a book that was a textbook. God did not want to give us something that we could just go through and just show people. See, 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 see. He wrote to us an incredible diversity. Telling amazing stories of him coming into people's lives and doing incredible things. And so we get the Psalms, which are just this beautiful wrestling with God. We get a book like the Song of Solomon, which, by the way, is poetry and beauty and a message of love wrapped into a couple's relationship. We do get history. We get struggle. And so what's interesting is we have a God that goes, wait a minute, I don't want just to tell you a story I want to tell you a better story. So let me show you this. There's this guy named Abram. Abram is told to leave the area of basically Iraq and head to this area that will be this promise. And he leaves. And he's a faithful person and he leaves. But here's what's interesting. In that promise, there is a promise given to him. I want to read this to you. This is... um, Genesis 17 of one through four. When Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord uh, appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I, make, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Well, here's what's interesting. When Abraham was 99 years old, he could have started when he was 20, 30, 40, but he wasted Abraham as 99 years old, which, by the way, his wife would have been in the same realm. Let's not talk about her age. Why? Why? It's a better story. It's a better story of God taking a barren womb. It's a better story of a person who thinks, man, I'm at the end of my life, and God goes, no, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Out of you is going to come something that you can't even imagine. And literally, in that process, it's a better story. It becomes a messy story. Sarah gives up her maidservant, And by the way, in that comes this conflict that, by the way, still applies today. But it was a better story, wasn't it? It's a better story to see Abraham trusting God at 99 years old. But by the way, didn't even be fulfilled for another 25 years. It's a better story. And so we watch Abraham and we watch what happens as he has his son Isaac. And and we see these incredible things. It's a better story. Many of you guys know about Joseph and the amazing technicolor suit, the old boy jacket. What was the play? I don't know what that was. But in that, Joseph, this young kid, by the way, most loved by his father, goes to his brothers and goes, you're all going to bow down to me. So I saw it in a dream. Does not go well for him. Decide to kill him. One of his brothers, Reuben, saves him, and they end up selling him into slavery. And then he goes into this guy's Potiphar house, does really, really good. And then he's accused of, of rape. That goes really, really bad. And then he goes into jail, and then he helps out these two guys, and that goes really, really good. And he's that kind of head over the jail, even though he's a prisoner. They leave him there, and that's really, really bad. And the one to save his own skin brings him out. And then in front of this king, he becomes really, really powerful. And by the way, second in all command. In Genesis 45, 1 through 5. His brothers, who, by the way, threw him into slavery, have come because there's a famine and they want food. And Joseph has, by the way, been toying with them because they're brothers and that's what brothers do with each other a little bit. But he gets to this moment. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone get out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Whoa, 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 what? We sold you into slavery. You can't be the second in command of all of Egypt. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, Please. And he came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. God didn't have to do any of that with Joseph's life. He didn't have to sell him to Potiphar and then have him go into jail and do all this stuff. But watch this. It's a better story. It's a story of Joseph being faithful. It's a story of him not buckling. It's a story of him not holding a grudge against the brothers, that, by the way, wanted to kill him. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of salvation as he saves his brothers and his father from famine. It's a better story. Oh, there's this guy named Moses. Some of you guys know about him. You saw a movie about him, where well, the seas parted. Charlton Heston did such a good job. Before we get there, though, we get to this. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her young woman walked beside the river. She saw a basket among the reeds, and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, "This is one of the Hebrews' children." Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call your, uh, call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. I love that the mother got to be the one that took care of Moses. Let me explain this to you. God did not need to take Moses, have him raised in the house of Pharaoh, reject that calling, go off into the wilderness for 40 years, come back, and then release the people of Israel. He could have just chosen a Jewish man, given him power, giving him authority, sent them in, and challenged Pharaoh. But folks, Moses in a basket is a better story. It's a better story. It's a better story when we see how God is using life boys being thrown into the Nile and one saved who comes from the house of Pharaoh, who becomes the one that comes back and says let my people go it's a good story it's a really good story oh the people wanted a king they chose one, his name was Saul didn't work out that well you have to read that on your own But in that, there was this young man who, by the way, had already killed this guy named Goliath with five stones. That's a good story. That's a really good story. But we get to this. This is 1 Samuel 16, 6-13. Samuel goes up to Jesse and his boys. And so, hey, God says that there's a king in your lineage. I love this. So he brings out his boys, his oldest boy. Yeah, This is going to be it. I know my boys. I know who they are. I'm going to bring the first one out. It's going to be amazing. Jesse's kind of blown away. And when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That's what Samuel thought. Because he looked at him and went, This has got to be the one that God calls. This has got to be it. At the back or in the ear of Samuel, we have this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the... You remember that. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. (laughs) Seven! No, no, no. I mean, Jesse's... We're getting to the bottom of the barrel here. And the Lord had not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains the youngest, but uh, behold, he is keeping the sheep. He's a sheep herder. And he's the one we have watched the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he is. For this is He. Do we have to go through all this? Do we have to do all of this? We do because God got to say these words I don't look on the outward appearance, I look on the. Choose Him. Why? It's a better story. It's a better story. It's a better story to see the one that the people chose in Saul and how he failed and the one that God chose and how he prevailed. By the way, the story doesn't end with David. There's so many things that happen in David's life, and he even fails and falls and is restored. It's a better story. It's a better story. Don't forget. Do not forget. Rahab, a prostitute from the city of Jericho, who, by the way, is a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Don't forget Ruth and Boaz, how Boaz brings Ruth in. And by the way, read the book of Ruth. It's pretty spicy stuff. Don't read it to your kids at night. It's not for them. And by the way, most of you don't know that it's spicy. You just read it out But you have to understand culture. And when you understand culture, (gasps) anyway, she is in the lineage. Tamar can't even go there, but it's a good story. Joshua and Caleb, let's go get them, guys. Let's go get them. Nope, we're not going in. Oh, you all get to die for the next 40 years while we wait to go into the promised land. 80 years old. woohoo! We now get to go into the promised land. Thanks, guys. It's a better story. Samson. Samson. By the way, one of the more tragic stories, yet he still gets to redeem at the end. It's a better story. Elijah and Elisha, good stories. Anytime someone calls you bald and then you make a bear come and maul him. oh, it's good stuff. Better stories. See, the thing is, is you keep looking at the Bible as it's a textbook and it's not. It's a storybook of God coming into brokenness, God coming into these places and saying, but with me, we can do something. With me, we can transform things. With me, we can change the very direction of how the world functions. It's a better story. God's son comes. I know it's not Christmas. It's weird for you to read out of Luke chapter 2. You're going to be fine. Here we go. In the days de, uh, they decree, went out from Caesar to Augustus, and shall be, uh, all the world shall be registered. This was the first registration under Quirinus, was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. By the way, if everything would have stayed on track, this Joseph Carpenter in Nazareth would have been king of Israel but now he's a carpenter in Nazareth. Bloodline says he gets to be king. Circumstances says he gets to be a carpenter. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Boy, that must have been a fun conversation. I know you're nine months pregnant. Get on the donkey. We're heading to Bethlehem. This will be really great. Ladies, I just want you to think about how you would have felt. Some of you don't even want to get into a car at nine months pregnant, let alone get on the back of a donkey for the next few weeks. And while they were there, there t- they're th- they're, the time came for her to give birth. She doesn't even get to do it at home, around family and friends. No, she's in a far-off town. And I love this. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a feed trough. Because this is how you see the Son of God coming into the world, with all the pomp and circumstance. This is the best part because there was no place for them in the end. You mean God couldn't keep a reservation? So, why is Jesus born this way? Why? It's a better story. It's a better story for those who've come from nothing, that understand that it's not always easy and that God can take things that seem so minuscule, so unimportant, and change the world. It's a better story. Jesus would grow up, and then he'd choose guys. He'd choose guys to come along his journey. Fishermen, tax collectors, boo, zealots, a ragtag group of 12. Why did he choose them? It's a better story. He didn't choose the biblically knowledgeable of the time and go in and pick from all the different schools of rabbis. Hey, you, fishing, come follow me. Hey, you in the tax booth, come follow me. Why? It's a better story. When he starts his ministry, a wild man, a wild man, who eats locusts and honey and wears camel hair, is saying, come out, be baptized, because the one who's coming is going to be amazing. Woo! There's your spokesperson. And then we know what happens in the story and how beautiful the story is. And I'm not going to get into all that. I want to get into something else. We start this whole thing off. The church has begun. There's this kid, young man actually, probably not, maybe he's in his 20s, whatever. But he's passionate and he's smart and he's an up and comer. And everyone's really excited about him. His name is Saul. And they finally got one of them. His name was Stephen. And Stephen does, as a a Greek, does this incredible sermon. And and he just makes them all mad. And they drag him out. And they throw rocks at his head till he's dead. And this is what we get. In the city, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's uh, chapter 7. Fifty-eight, chapter eight, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose a great day of persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And except for the apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation for him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's go to Acts nine. Saul's on his way to get more Christians. He's going to put them in prison. He's going to stop this little uprising because he is a devout Jew, and this Christian thing must stop. He's on the road to Damascus. Bright light blinds him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will go and be told what you are to do. Now at this point, he's speaking to a person who's going to talk to Saul. He said, But Lord said to him, Go, Lord said to this person, Go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So wait a minute. Out of all the apostles, all the different people that followed Jesus. Out of 172, you went and got the one who, by the way, was ravaging the church, the one that was persecuting the church, the one that was taking the church down. You went to him, blinded him, and told him, by the way, you're going to be my messenger to the Gentiles. You're going to be the one that takes the word around the world. And by the way, as we now know, writes the most of the New Testament. You mean to tell me he couldn't have chosen, I don't know, Bartholomew or Andrew or even doubting Thomas and given him a second chance? You mean in this process— You chose Saul? Saul stood there while they killed Stephen, and you gave him the chance to become the one that would be your mouthpiece throughout all of the region? Why? It's a better story. Because some of us need to know that no matter what we've done, that God can redeem us and bring us back. And by the way, use us mightily and powerfully. I'm telling you, if I'm writing a textbook, I'm not doing it God's way. I have a much cleaner script. Does that make sense? I'm going to use the good people and the right people and the people that didn't mess up and the people don't have issues. Those are the people I'm going to put. See, these are the echelon. Be like them. No, God keeps bringing all these lowlifes into His Word and He keeps redeeming them. I wonder why. Because it's a better story. It's a better story. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 1, 25-28, for the foolish of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For those of you who weren't here for the beginning of the service, God decided in his foolishness to use a truck driver's son. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Put your hands up, folks. Not many of you were wise. According to the worldly standards, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Somebody say amen. See, the thing is, is that God wants to tell a better story, and he wants to use you. But Jeff, I got pregnant when I was 15 years old, and he wants to tell a better story. But Jeff, I had a company. I lost everything. I mean, I lost everything. And God goes, but I can use you to tell a better story. Jeff, I have an ailment. I'm deaf. I'm, I'm crippled. How can God use me? God will use you for a better story. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. He wants to tell a better story. He wants to tell it through you. You keep waiting for the Superman and the Wonder Woman to show up. They're not coming, folks. Oh, I gotta get the person, I want to be the person that has memorized all the scripture. You can memorize all the scripture you want and have people that has never touched their hearts. Oh, I want to use the people that have power and authority. And chances are, most people in power and authority use it wrongly. He's telling you to tell your story. Tell your story. Not somebody else's, yours. And if you will give your story to him, and you will learn his story and have it impact your story, you'll begin to live out your story with him in the middle of it in powerful ways you never thought possible. And all of your excuses, bring me your excuses. I'll find you someone in the Bible, I'll be like, okay, what do you want to do about him? By the way, Moses, speech impediment. Probably stuttered. What do you want to do with each one of them? By the way, that Abraham we talked about, eh, didn't do the best thing when it came to his wife. See, the thing is, is we keep looking that there's somebody and there is nobody. It's you and your story to your inner circle and those around you. It's your story. And it has impact if you'll let God come in and, by the way, do foolish things with you. Foolish things. You mean I can have a Bible study in my garage? Yes. You mean I can go serve and really take care of people who are hurting? Yes. James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? This isn't a caste system. Not only the the rich get to have all the good stuff. No, there are poor people that have more peace than those sitting in mansions. There are poor people that have more life than those who think that we're watching them live life on Instagram. which he has promised to those who love him. Tell your story. Tell your story. No one cares about my story. Baloney. It's not your story in his hands. It's his story through you. Let him tell your story. Matthew 5, 14, 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the God, your Father who is in heaven. He wants you to tell your story. Live out your story. Let your story shine bright. It's your story. Tell your story. This next two months, we're going to just come at you to say, tell your story. This is how you tell your story. Why should you tell your story? This is what your story looks like. We're going to have an equipping conference. It's going to be about storytelling. And we're going to say, come now, tell your story. Don't give people facts. Don't turn to someone and say, here's all the facts. Give them poetry. Give them your life. And don't forget, do not forget Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Second Corinthians 5.20. twenty. First John two, uh, 1, 2 and 3. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son of Jesus Christ. Proclaim, tell your story, be an ambassador. The message comes through you, and it comes through your story. It comes through your story. Jeff Harris, I'm the son of a truck driver who was told in fifth grade that God could use me. And I'm telling you, I'm not perfect. and I'm broken and I mess up. But God gave me a book filled, full of people who were broken and messed up and he used it to change the world. And all he told them to do is go and tell your story. I got one last thing for you. Isaiah 53, 5-8 through says this, "'But he was pierced for our transgressions, "'he was crushed for our iniquities, "'and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. "'And with his wounds we are healed.'" All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. His mouth By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who consider that he was cut off of the land and live, of the living, stricken for the transgression of many people. Jesus on the cross is not just a better story. It's God's story. It's God's story. I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to urge you. And I'm going to push you that you become a person that tells your story. And I'll end with this. There's a church on the East Coast. And I have to believe this guy says it's true. To be a part of his church and to be called a member of his church with every person you meet, you do four things. And he goes, by the way, and if you're not willing to do these four things, then don't call yourself a member of this church. You meet with them, you go, what are we here to meet about? Um, something. He goes, then you ask them, what is their story? Pull out their story. Third thing, tell them your story. Fourth thing, share with them the gospel. And he says to them, if you do not do those four things when you meet somebody, you have wasted their time. Folks, tell your story. Heavenly Father, you are a good God who told a beautiful story. It's messy. At times it's revolting. It's pushing. It's challenging. It's all these things. Heavenly Father, you have asked us to go and tell our story, but most of us don't even know how or what we would say. And Father, we want us to change that as a part of this church. I want everyone who hears my voice today to be able to tell their story of your redemption and your love and your grace and your justification and your mercy and your salvation and an eternity that waits. the grace that falls. It's a good story for every one of us. It's a good, good story. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.